Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Uh, I'm back. I survived the killers. You know we wanted 50 bucks for a t-shirt? I should have just told him to, like, shove that. for 50 bucks? Jesus. Is it the most? Wait, how much was the most you've ever paid for a t-shirt? Um, for a tour t-shirt? The last tour t-shirt I bought was U2 2001, and that was 20 bucks. Okay. That... That's surprisingly Mine's... cheap for that band. Yeah, that's a really Honestly. good deal. Yeah, but it was two thousand one. Yeah, Killers didn't really live up to their name if they didn't get you, Nadia. Mm. Yeah, just, just typical disappointing uh, band in their second mm. act of their career. The but... Sparers, more like it. Yes, that voice you're hearing is Eric Van Allen. <laughs> yeah, uh, the most I've ever spent. I haven't spent more than maybe like thirty to forty bucks on a tour T-shirt. But I did once spend $80 on a T-shirt at the Overwatch League, uh, Ooh, which I was not happy about because it was one of those situations where they didn't have a price tag on the shirt and you get to the register and they're uh, like, that's $80. And like, there's a lot of peer pressure in that moment. Mm-hmm, there's a lot mm-hmm. of like the social kind of tension in that moment that I was just like, okay. And you know what? I still have that. It's a, it's a good shirt. But uh, yeah. Oh, for any freaking bucks, I'd hope so. Yeah. <laughs> It stood the test of time. It should sing when you put it on. I have a singing t-shirt. It gives you a six-pack automatically. You just put it on and a six-pack just appears. It's incredible. I don't buy t-shirts at concerts. I buy posters. And Mm -hmm. when I went to Reb's house, I saw that they had the Anamanaguchi poster from when they did the 20th anniversary of the 10th anniversary of the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. And I was so jealous of that poster. Mm -hmm. I love that. I didn't want to risk my health for the pandemic, but Rep did, and you know what? She got a great she poster out a of it. Poster. <laughs> yep. Good job, Rep. Also joining us, we have another member of our little podcast. They're coming straight from Normandy FM, and what was once fan bite? Who do we got? Hello, I'm Kenneth Shepard. I spent eighty dollars at a Florence and the Machine concert last week, which was not a good idea because I don't have a job. So <laughs> I'm sorry, but I shouldn't laugh. But that's <laughs> that's the that's the best idea. I don't know. I've like cumulatively, I've spent a lot of money at a concert before on like bands where it's like an indie band, and I'm like, I'll just buy whatever T-shirts mm. y'all got. I'll fill my closet, and I want y'all to keep touring and keep doing good stuff. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I, you want to do. I did buy do. a Proto Men T-shirt, but now I'm too fat for it, so I gotta get another one. <laughs> it's a great T-shirt too. My one regret was it was not a concert, but it was a movie screening of Scott Pilgrim and Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And Peter Wright was in the house introducing each one. And he read out the IMDb tags and encouraged people to clap when they were. For example, Coins was the one for Scott Pilgrim. And uh, A Stake Through the Neck was one for Hot Fuzz. And... People applauded rapturously. Also, we answered Q and A's. It was great, and there was an amazing poster for that. And I can't believe I didn't buy it. Oh man, mm. that's that'd be a regret, all right. That sounds really cool. It's like a hundred bucks too. Alas, but we have Ken on this show this week because we're going to be talking about a little topic we've been putting off for a bit, but it's in the zeitgeist. It's an mm. RPG topic, and it's kind of unavoidable mm-hmm. at this point. We're going to talk about whether or not Cyberpunk 2077 deserves its redemption arc and in the process, turn Eric into the Joker. It's going to be a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm. Really excited. I've been working on it all week. My Mark Hamill impersonation or Cesar Romero. I haven't decided yet. He was I ranting about paper, it so. in the chat with just me and Nadia. It was it just the, the energy was chat. really strong. <laughs> he has opinions. We're going to hear them today. This is great. I'm excited. So 
the things that turn us into the Joker, for me, it's FF7 Remake's ending. For uh, for Eric, it's the is cyberpunk back narrative. What is it? Was it for Nadia? What's your trigger Legend point, Mana. Nadia? Legend, Legend of, of Mana, Mana? Is, my, is my Joker point. Saying, so people who defend Legend of Mana? Basically. Mm. We had to mm. do that. We had to do that in the uh, the blood god debates or whatever <laughs> the blood god hot take soapbox. Oh shit, that's right. Who got, oh, was that? Me? Did I have to defend that? No, I did. No, you were Secret of Mana. You were like Secret of Mana. It's, what a game! And you died. It's, for like it's a wonderful seconds. game. It's such a good game. It's got sprites. <laughs> yes, because I was ragging on it so hard during the Legend of Mana discussion. Ah, that was legendary. And uh, it's, it's somewhere on the internet. I think Eric saved it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I have I have VODs. I've been putting off uploading them. I promise it will happen before the end of the year. Let's like ballpark it there. <laughs> if it happens sooner that if if it's a if it happens sooner, that's a happy little treat. But you know, let's reasonable expectations here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to all of that in a moment. But first, if you enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at C-M-O-C-S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And Ken, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me at ShepherdCDR, spelled like Commander Shepherd. Wonderful. Everybody should do that. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where we have a lot of amazing content, a couple of Patreon things that are happening right the heck now. We just selected the next game for our Pantheon of the Blood God. It's going to be Pokemon black and white and black two and white two that is oh, gen cool. five all right yeah, yeah. It's time. i haven't really given a good like it's been a long time since i played black and white i think i kind of skipped over them a little bit like i didn't mm-hmm. pay much attention but yeah i'm looking forward to that i gotta find my copies mm-hmm. in case you were wondering about pokemon gen five first of all it's very exalted these days in the pokemon fandom it's the uh the, the one with the uh, tepig the pig tepig. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. snivy and the little uh, and the little otter guy, and it's also the game that questioned the the very foundation of Pokemon <laughs> with the character of N. Who, oh, it, that was the one with N. Yeah, yes, okay. that's the one with N. Yeah, and also, and the team that wants yeah, to yeah. liberate Pokemon. So it's basically Game Freak going, yes, but is it wrong to train, capture, and train Pokemon? Find, we'll find out whether that's the case. When <laughs> Perhaps we talk about the it. issue is not so black and white after all. Thank you, Eric. Also, we have a Pantheon episode coming up uh, in a couple days as of the release of this episode, in which we'll be talking about Golden Sun with Victor Hunter and Red Valentine. It's going to be a lot of fun, and you can access that at the $10 level. We also have our Autumn of the Avatar Book 1 recap with Lotus, in which we go through, you know, basically share our thoughts, talk about the best episodes, the best moments, the best characters, who was the MVP of the season. Go and listen to that. It's available right now on the premium feed as well. And finally, we also have our Stars of Destiny with us this week. And joining us is Amy Azixa, Brian C. Nerd, Drew RWX, EJ, Cal L, Not Hollow, Mango Alts, Spirus, Super Moop. Hey, Super Moop. Welcome to the show. And Woo Batman. That's a, it's actually a wonderful thing. Our Pantheon channel was like complete chaos because it was like neck and neck the entire time between Gen 1 and Gen 5. It was pretty tight. Like when I looked last, it was really, really neck and neck. So when 
I'm kind of glad five uh, Gen five won out. It was really fun because uh, whenever Pantheon voting time comes around, like if especially if it's close, all the memes come out, all the people like stumping for their individual games, vote trading. It's great. So yeah, it is fun. Come on <laughs> over, energy. Come on over and take part of it. Okay, let's get on to what we've been playing our sacrifices to the blood god and Ken, our special guest, what have you been playing? Uh, I guess Eric and I share this one because we, we both have been playing a fair bit of Overwatch 2 mm. ahead of its oh, launch next week. That's out, right? Is it out? No, uh, it comes out on next the 4th. So, yeah. Like As of the now. release of this episode, it will be coming out tomorrow. So, the mm. 4th. Yeah. Mm. How's and Toronto? Um, cold. Uh, yeah, yeah, frozen barren wasteland. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that tracks. Well, it depends where you are, but yeah, it, it's kind of disappointing that this is a game with Toronto in it, and yet it's Overwatch too. <laughs> I don't know. I it and I, we were talking. We also with I guess like other guests of the Blood God. We talked Jesse Vitelli. We um all been playing together, and like I think it's good in the same way that Overwatch has always been good. Um, mm-hmm. and so like the actual playing it is still very fun to me. Uh, there's a lot of controversy around, you know, the switch to free to play and all that fun stuff. Um, I, I honestly, in like the review period that we've been given, we haven't hasn't really been a lot of um, chance to really get a sense of how a lot of that progression is, just because like there's so few people playing right now. Um, but I don't know, like the, there are there's I think the bigger controversy out of it right now is that like they are blocking heroes for some for like new players yeah, and I heard about uh-huh. that. Um, then the new characters as they come out will be part of the battle pass and that stuff feels very odd to me like that's like that feels antithetical to what the loop of overwatch is um i know eric has has more complicated like more complicated feeling than that because i i'm a person complicated is a word (laughs) was that well like complicated certainly a word to describe something something that i have found that is like me hacking like you know hacking the system of a lot of like live games and hero shooters and other things i main characters so much that i rarely get caught up in a lot of the uh like the free play bullshit all the, like the microtransactions all the stuff because like, i like my very specific characters that i play and so like i only you know like pokemon unite i put money into when when pikachu gets a new skin and otherwise it does not get a sin out of me mm-hmm. um you play like a fighting game, right? Like that's how you play Street Fighter, really. And that's yeah, like what a- I really identify with. Identify you with is that in fighting games, you like pick one character and mm-hmm. really latch on to them. Yeah, like like I play Ryu in Street Fighter. I play Green Arrow in Injustice. I play Akihiko and well, and Junpei in Persona 4 Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like a lot of the things don't usually end up really bothering me because I'm kind of in a like I'm a, I'm a minority in how people play those games. So, like that stuff just like never really gets in my field of view. Um, with Overwatch, that feels like it's going to be a little bit more complicated because I do, like, even though I do have my, my favorite characters, like, now they're putting, like, all these cosmetics in a battle pass instead of there just being some easy way for me to get them otherwise. So, right now, it kind of feels like, you know, there's a lot of scary stuff that's happening around that game that I don't think we're really going to understand the full breadth of until the game is out. Um, right, right. But I like playing a lot. I don't yeah. have a lot of faith in Overwatch. And uh, I I just sort of feel like it's time has come and gone, but I, I wish Blizzard the best of luck, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I'm like my takeaway from playing in the early access period has largely been I don't like the shift to five to f- five on five. Um, I don't 
even though I think I like that it makes some of those tank characters feel tankier and feel cooler to play. I love that like Reinhardt has two hammer strikes and all that. There's so much like larger issues around Overwatch that you have to like address. You know, it's one of those games that comes with the addendums, the the asterisks, mm. right? It's here's Overwatch, Overwatch 2 the multiplayer version single player is not out yet. Mm. Also it's mired in allegations and issues that have created problems for that company for a long time. And it's really showing in the way that this is all rolling out, that this is just a a product of a company that's been having some issues for a while. Mm -hmm. Right. And so part of me, this we've had talks. I'm sure like journalists have had these talks a million times between each other and stuff, but the idea of like, how do you celebrate the work that, you know, some art designer who's really happy about the work they did on a character mm-hmm. and really excited about it? There's that. And then there's all the stuff happening with Activision Blizzard up top. How do you deal with that? How do you manage that? And there's no real good answer outside mm-hmm. of just acknowledging everything and being like, this is what it is. And that's kind of like like Overwatch is now having to haul all that baggage while also arriving in a way that. I think the messaging around it has just been rough to say the least. Yeah. They've they've had to multiple times over clarify statements about Overwatch, about the way Overwatch is rolling out. I think the general idea of Overwatch 2, like the idea of a game, a live service game having a big um, refresh is not that abnormal in the grand scheme of things league of legends has done it dota has done it uh you could consider each street fighter that sort of thing or even within street fighter you have like street fighter 3 uh all the way up through street fighter 3 third strike you had iterations there and versions in the arcade things like that it's not that outlandish of an idea but um in the same way that halo infinite has really struggled with trying to do what it's been doing i feel like overwatch 2 is already struggling out the gate And then it's just making some very strange choices, um, things that feel well-intentioned. I like the idea of a first-time user experience. I think that's a good idea, especially if you're going to be free to play and you're bringing new characters in, bringing new people in. But I compared it to, like, what if you boot up Street Fighter and Capcom's like, you can't play Zangief until you play 50 matches as Ryu or Ken. And, Mm -hmm. like, that that doesn't feel great because even though overwatch is a game that's about switching between characters, countering that sort of thing, you know, Oh, they've got a far up in the sky. So I need to switch off of Reaper because Reaper can't deal with that. But soldier can or sojourn can or Bacree or the sorry (laughs) Cassidy. I'm still not used to that change. (laughs) Um, uh, They can swap over. Now suddenly that becomes a little messier. They did show what the hero unlocks are. And it seems like there's a decent amount of, like hero variety pool that you're starting with mm. the characters like diva may may is one of my favorite characters Junkrat's one of my favorite characters and if i was starting out as a first time player i would have to play a ton of matches to get to unlock them and i don't know if i would get from right point a to point b especially if i'm looking at that roster and seeing like look at how cool diva is with that mech and that big nuke that she can set off and all that and i can't do that yet because i haven't mm-hmm. played enough games for blizzard to trust me to do that yet and, and that's where i'm kind of like trust the player enough to mm-hmm. play the game and seek those lessons out that's like my right. fighting game mentality my dota mentality from it but um on top of all that i think overwatch just this feels like an update in a way that 
is both massive and not massive enough. Not a lot of characters have as many reworks as I was expecting. A lot of characters feel like playing Brigida is honestly pretty similar to playing Brigida in Overwatch 1. Mm. Playing D.Va is very similar to playing D.Va in Overwatch 1. Like they don't feel some characters feel very different. Um, obviously, Cassidy is one. Cassidy had some of uh, one of his main abilities changed. Other characters have had their main abilities changed. Other characters like Reaper played just the same as they did in 2016. And it overall just feels like it's also not the time for Overwatch anymore. It feels like Overwatch is coming gone. And with the shift to free to play, it feels like Overwatch 2 is leaning into the things that people who have been trying to copy Overwatch and topple Overwatch have been doing. And so it feels like it's capitulating in a way. And, and all of that combines into a thing where it's like the core of this. We had a game the other night where uh, we were all kind of queued up and we we matched up against some other press folks who had been in the circle and we were all like, oh, it's them. Hey, it's them. And someone on their team, there was kind of a, you know, gentleman's agreement. Everybody plays the the competitive mode that, that oh, you know, Blizzard has said that proper competitive Overwatch is one tank, two damage, two healers. And so everyone was kind of running that. And then someone on the other team, they ran two damage, two healers or, or two, two tanks, two healers, one damage. And we we're like, hey, they're running two tanks. That's kind of messed up. Let's run four <laughs> tanks, baby. And so we started having a match where it was just both teams were four tanks and a healer. And that felt like that 2016 Overwatch to me mm. where everyone was just kind of messing around and having fun and goofing. And it was really fun. And I was like, yes, this is this is Overwatch to me. This is what I love about Overwatch when it's this fun, goofy shooter that even reminds me of Team Fortress 2 and stuff like that. Right, but, which it really mm -hmm. usurped for a long time. Yeah, right. and and playing that both gave me those warm, fuzzy feelings, and then also every match I played after that where people were like very try hard and we have to like play good competitive Overwatch. I was like, this sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I don't want to do this. And, and so I'm just torn on the game it's 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 in a weird place and it's in a bad place and i don't with, with the messaging and the way that things have been going and i don't know what overwatch 2 is really going to look like i think people are going to play it but is it going to stick is my big question mm. they're talking about heroes four seasons down the line and i'm like you got to worry about season one and two yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah i and something that i've been reflecting on a lot is that, that i think about that original announcement for overwatch 2 back in 2019 which you know feels like forever ago but it it was only three years ago at this point, but um, like I feel like that the messaging around that game has changed so much. Like, because I think when they first announced it at BlizzCon, I it felt relatively unintrusive. Like it was there was a lot of talk about how Overwatch One and Overwatch Two players play together, and the like the real meat of it was going to be this uh this co op narrative stuff that they had been. What is it? They had more or less said that like they've been holding a lot of Overwatch and story stuff for this game, which now it's not coming mm -hmm. at launch anyway. Um, and it's coming next year. And I think at the time, like, I, I really believed in that. I, I was more like, okay, whatever. Like, if it's going to just be basically, you know, this update that everyone still plays together, but there's going to be the substantial story stuff that's coming alongside it that is what I wanted. Because, like, at that point, like, I, I, had, I think I had been a fan of Overwatch, like, up for about a year at that point, And I had been in, like, that space just long enough to not really feel burned by the game like a lot of people that had, you know, in 2016. And, you know, there was that weird just, like, halt of content and mm -hmm. story mm -hmm. and, like, shorts and stuff. Like, I I came in where I was like, okay, I know what I want. And, like, then they showed what I wanted at Overwatch 2. And now that, that game is not really coming in the form they first pitched it as. And, you know, I mean, the game's free to play. So, like, I think 
a lot of like you know a lot of the concerns about like how much are they going to cost to just put buy, buy the single player stuff and or co-op whatever like a lot of that conversation kind of goes away but then in the midst of changing your entire model your brain all these new other concerns it will have so like i don't know i i i am interested to see what that game looks like in a year uh in the meantime i still think it's just like it's overwatch and for good or for ill it is overwatch would you mind if I springboard this into a conversation about a different kind of Overwatch that I think this podcast would care a little bit more about and be more interested in? Oh, thank God. <laughs> Let me tell you about Gundam Evolution, baby. Oh. The oh, new God. hotness. <laughs> it's, I heard uh, it's good. It is surprisingly See, good. Eric's snagging me with the Gundam talk here. Yeah, uh, he I, got know, I, know, there, I know how to play to the audience. You know, it's so I did pick up Gundam Evolution because I'd been hearing some some rumblings. Um, Ren over at Waypoint had written something up about it, and so I was like, "Huh, okay." You know, people people who know are saying this is something to watch. So maybe I check this out and I boot it up. You go through the tutorial and it feels very overwatchy at first. They, they start you with the pale rider Gundam and it's very, uh, soldier 76 y let's say where it's like oh you you hit this thing and you start healing in an area and you hit this thing and you throw a frag grenade and you have an automatic rifle and your g maneuver which is your ultimate uh powers soups you up makes you shoot faster reload faster all that i was like okay this is very soldier 76 and i booted into a match and started playing as turn a gundam and let me tell you, turn a Gundam's wild. You you have this like charge rifle and you can ult and you turn into a butterfly and soar across the battlefield, carpet bombing everything below you. And meanwhile, there's like a melee Zaku over there slamming a gun tank with an axe. And over there, there's like the Sazabi just firing off shotgun rounds as a oh sniper God. mech runs away. And there's noises like the little like from like unicorn Gundam <laughs> shooting off in the background. The picks they have for this game, I have to mention some solid picks. They have like the, is it the Mihiru? The, the like weird, like curved shape Gundam and like the As- Asamaru or Asamar or whatever. And the Sazabi from, from Shars and all that, like some really good picks from across the length of Gundam. And they all and have Barbados really... from iron blooded orphans, right? They had yeah. a good, they had a good trailer that showed, um, scenes from the original shows integrated into the actual machines. But I, um, Eric, two things. First mm-hmm, of all, mm-hmm. I'll go and download this game and I'll play yes, it. What are you good. playing it on? A uh, PC. I'm playing it on steam. All right. Uh, it's I'll free play to it play PC. by the way. All right. I'll maybe I'll put on my steam deck. I don't know. Um, the other thing is this is just your reasoning. You should go watch turn a Gundam. Now it's a great show. I- that Great thing has music. like a weird like, upside down mustache going it's like on. Studio, it's, it's like Studio <laughs> Ghibli Gundam. Okay, okay. It's uh, some distinct designs. It's it's hard to describe, but it's not like your typical Gundam shows. I think even Nadia would like it. Honestly, like this is before I was like, okay, we're on Autumn of Avatar. Like my focus is on Avatar, but playing Gundam Evolution, which is also been really good as like a cooldown game. Like you would think mm. that it would be very competitive and very competitive focus. You can certainly get a little competitive, but it's game modes. So the game modes are primarily not payload pushing or anything like that. It's it's game modes that I've mostly played are either um, domination. So like secure a point and, and hold it for as long as you can. And each team kind of tries to hold it. And then a new point opens up or kind of a rush style game mode from battlefield or like a uh, bomb planting 
uh, game mode that feels kind of vaguely counter strikey, but there's still like respawns. It's all very deathmatch. It's all very like battlefield almost where you're kind of you run out, you do some stuff, you have some fun. Oh, no, I blew up. You can revive other units, which is really fun. Um, So if somebody goes down, they're down, but not out. So you can get that back up. And it's just got like a motion to it. It's got a real movement to it where you are kind of maybe what struck me the most playing it and then going to overwatch was in overwatch, especially in some maps you would kind of die in a team fight and you'd have to do the long walk of shame back to the, <laughs> back to the payload, back to whatever there's kind of that arduous walk that the attacking team has to do back or that the pushing team has to deal with. Whereas in Gundam, it just felt like I cool. I died. I respawned. I'm back in the action back at it, going, fighting, having fun, and there's all kinds of stuff going on around me. There's pilot voices being like, oh, they got me, but I'll get them next time and stuff like that. You can get like a Sailor Mass portrait to have as your like icon avatar and stuff. It's just they do the right things to tickle the nostalgia bone. And now I'm just like, oh, I'm back into Gundam. This is this was actually a there maneuver by Cat, a G maneuver by Cat to get me back into Gundam. I salute. <laughs> well, I, I won't talk about a shooter because I don't know, but um, <laughs> uh, but I have been playing a lot of Splatoon three and FIFA. Uh, but Heck I do yeah. have an R- I do have uh, an RPG sitting on my PS five right now. It's called Valkyrie Elysium. Mm. I I haven't played one single solitary second of this game except for the demo, which I actually really liked. By the way, I really enjoyed the demo. I was seriously debating whether I would get it on my Steam Deck or if I would get it on my PS5. And ultimately, <clears throat> I went with the PS5 because I really liked the 60 FPS in the demo. And it would mm-hmm. seem like a loss if it didn't run that well on the Steam Deck. And I don't necessarily trust my PC to be able to run it well. Mm-hmm. So PS5 mm-hmm. it is. I'm extremely enticed by that key art that you see, uh, the splash screen that you see before you load up the game. Makes me really want to play it. Um, and I will, but IGN.com posted its review of Valkyrie Elysium and gave it a six out of 10 praising uh, its combat system, but saying it does not live up to the legacy of the original mm-hmm. Valkyrie profile. And I was like, a single tear. Yes. <laughs> a single down. cat tear. You yeah. look at the screen and a, a yeah. tear rolled down your eye. Our, our, our review also went live. I did not do the review for Destructoid, but ours went live and it was even lower. So I was oh, like, Oh, that's too Ooh. bad. It looks fun. <laughs> Valkyrie. Oh, Yeah. The combat does seem really cool. That seems like the highlight. It seems like a lot of the issues actually come in around just the world, the characters, the writing just is not hitting whatsoever, which is a shame. That's too bad. It's weird because when Valkyrie Profile begins in media res, I encourage you to go listen to our Pantheon episode of Valkyrie Profile mm-hmm. for more details. But mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. starts and it feels like this very filled out and very detailed world, not just in terms of Asgard, but in terms of Midgard and everything, like all of mm. this stuff is happening. And in Valkyrie Elysium, it's strange because the Valkyrie doesn't even seem to have a name initially. Like she's just Valkyrie and Odin is creating her, I suppose. And I'm like, is this a prequel? Is this a sequel? What is going on with the story in this yeah. game? Music is dope. Cause it's mm-hmm. by, uh, <laughs> Same guy did the compose uh, composition for the original Valkyrie profile, so I'm into that. Art is generally really nice, I think. Uh, but yeah, I agree that I'm having a little bit of a hard time getting a handle on the story. 
And it seems like it might be a little bit of a letdown compared mm. to uh, the original Valkyrie profile. The, uh, Lenneth got uh, delayed till November 11th. Yeah, that was also a weird thing. It's like, we're yeah. going to delay this ROM dump. <laughs> <laughs> got to delay one of these. Sir, we're having some trouble with the ROM dump. <laughs> someone, someone forgot how to run the emulator on PlayStation, so we're just going to spend some extra months figuring that out. They're using the the very yeah. old version of ZSNES where it didn't have they didn't have any transparency, so you'd have to turn off the layer to so like get through like the Mist Cave in Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> oh, no, Good that's times. a deep poll. Thank you, Nadia. Yeah. A very deep pull. God, pay Nadia the big bucks. <laughs> Damn right. So Nadia, what first-person hero shooter are you playing? Uh, Xenoblade is that a shooter? Um, <laughs> no, but I'm like totally into talking about Xenoblade right now. Something I actually put up on Twitter just moments ago was that um, I'm going through chapter six. I'm getting close to the end, but I'm taking my time about it because I'm getting all the heroes and stuff like that. Uh, I was talking about like fake swear words that shows mm, and TV mm-hmm, and, and and games use and. That came down to, in Xenoblade 3, you have uh, Snuff and uh, Spark. And it's like, why are they saying that? And then you realize it's because, well, not getting too much into spoilers, they don't know what the F word means. And that's what their replacement is for it. So I thought that was actually really clever. But that's, again, something else I don't want to get into because of spoilers. So I will say, I've been playing a hell of a lot of Shovel Knight Dig. Oh my god, I can't stop. Help. So what's the appeal of Dig? What is Shovel Knight Dig? Yeah. It's basically Downwell. Like I, I actually previewed this at PAX in the, in the long ago and far away, and the guy showing it to me called it Shovel Knight Downwell, and I put that as my headline, mm. and it got us a ton of traffic. At the time, uh, Downwell was like kind of a roguelite action game mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. go deeper, deeper, you dig, 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 go dig, down the well. and beat bosses and get power-ups and die and go back to the surface mm-hmm. and rinse repeat uh it looks fantastic like i've always liked nitrum as a, a developer like when i reviewed mobile games they their games always looked incredible and just the way they bring the shovel knight world to life is just a delight on its own but it's just really addictive and when i started it i'm very very picky about my roguelike games i've said this before but i need to have that sense of yes i'm getting permanent upgrades that are helping me get deeper and deeper and with Downwell slash Shovel Knight, you kind of have something in between where you do keep some power-ups. Most of the time, you're mm. just unlocking mm-hmm. power-ups that are temporary, and you only have them when you're down in the hole. And thankfully, it got to the point where I felt like, okay, the gameplay loop, I am getting progress because I am playing better. And it's not necessarily all up to the upgrades, but there is some of that as well. So it, once I hit that kind of stride, I, I started to realize, okay, I'm really, I'm really digging this game, so to speak. Oh, I like it. Well, it sounds pretty cool. I enjoyed the the Shovel Knight puzzle game as well. You know I thought we... it was pretty good too. Like I I liked it a lot, but I like this a lot better. Like I don't know if you played down well, but if you did and you liked it, I did. like this is Oh, so this is a must play for you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um I want them to make a Shovel Knight RPG now. I would like yeah. that very much. It would be that an would amazing be party-based yeah. RPG if you get all the knights mm-hmm. uh, together. You're close personal friends with Yacht Club. You should, you should tell mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. You should pitch this to them. Yeah, and that's, absolutely. That's mm-hmm. my second life. Right. Uh, my second career is making a Shovel Knight RPG. Mm-hmm. The question Can is, what? social links. Can we get social links? I would like to no. date the knights. No, it would 100% be a Final Fantasy IV style. I, I couldn't break very up fast. Shovel Knight no, and, no and Shield Knight. <laughs> Really? <laughs> I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need to romance all the knights. I'm gonna need to romance oh. Plague Knight. I'm gonna need to romance King Knight. I'm gonna need to romance uh, Specter Knight. 
canonically, uh, Plague Knight has their own has already has she a has girlfriend. Mona. They're we're cute. already yeah. we're already non canonical. Don't worry about. It. We've played Xenoblade Three. We know there's potential here. All right, that's we, true. Everything's the, a polycule. The night, the night cool. All right, we've got it. It's set. <laughs> night it's, it's gonna work. Night cool. <laughs> hey, I fully endorse uh, polyamory in Shovel Knight. Apparently. <laughs> They can swap shovels. <laughs> it is 2022. <laughs> Let the knights love each I know. other. <laughs> Seriously, I endorse alternative families here. So all the knights should be in love and be able to kiss uh, as many knights mm-hmm. as they want. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it for what we've been playing. And now it's time for a series of random encounters. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Rest in peace to Google Stadia, which is being fully shut down with Google responding all purchases. It's thrown a lot of things into disarray, including developers who are actually making games for the things, people who inexplicably put 6,000 hours into Red Dead Redemption 2, and among other things, um, Mm. various developers are trying to find ways to transfer saves over to other platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, In the meantime, Dragon Age Dreadwolf revealed its codex entries. Uh, Eric, Ken, you're the Dragon Age sickos. Did you read every (laughs) single one of these codex entries? There were only like three that got put up uh, in this blog, but it was a nice little hit of of what's to come. Some some, some general tone setting stuff and a really cool interview Mm. with uh, one of the narrative editors and one of the senior writers over there that is really interesting if you like reading about the writing that goes into these RPGs. Uh, so if you're a writing nerd, mm. like some of us here, uh, it's a really good read. Did they by chance say if they figure out what an anthology <laughs> they is? They do actually have a specific section where they talk about how each of their games has a designated hero and it's important that they move on. This is what, Ken, this is Ken's Joker stuff right here. Ken hates the idea of Dragon Age not being like Mass Effect and, and having hero carryover. He, he hates the whole anthology thing. The the mm-hmm. reason being the reason being they never finish a story before mm-hmm. they finish a game. It is not it is not about me me being like precious about it, an individual protagonist. It's the fact that they never they always hand somebody else's story off to somebody else. Just just finish a story in one game, Bioware. <laughs> just do that. What a concept. What a concept, right? Pokemon on Scarlet and Violet's newest Pokemon is Wiglet, which is a horrifying little Diglett mm-hmm. worm. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It looks like that nightmare thing cool. from Monster Hunter. What is it? Yeah. Kudzu. Oh, Nasty. I hate those. Those are terrible. Yeah. I hate this. This is bad. This is bad. Wrong. Send it back. Somebody loves that, po- somebody loves that monster, and it isn't me. Yeah, and they're sicko. Ed Sheeran will also <laughs> have a song in Pokemon Violet and Scarlet, and mm. if you haven't watched the music video, it's adorable. Uh, Skyrim Anniversary mm. Edition has randomly rolled out on the Nintendo Switch. Wow, Dragonflight has a November 28th release date. Alice is suing fans running servers for SMT Imagine. Darkest Dungeon 2 is getting a major rework to the metagame and progression. And I conducted an interview 
with Tactics Ogre Reborn producer Hiroaki Kato. Awesome. And this quote got picked up a little bit. It was some discussion about why they decided not to make it HD 2D. I encourage you to go and read the uh, the full interview. But what it kind of came down to was that they just didn't, they wanted to retain the the look and the feel and the pixel art of the original. And they didn't necessarily think that it was a fit. Also, they just didn't, I'm sure they didn't say it, but I'm sure that they didn't want a lot of overlap with triangle strategy. They were probably like, yeah. oh, it's going to look too much like triangle strategy if we do that. Crap. So that's why. Also, somebody <laughs> just in the Stars of Destiny chat, Supermoop just posted a God Emperor of Dune cover but it's wiglet instead of the uh, yeah, the sandworm god yeah the sandworm god <laughs> may his passing cleanse the world incredible <laughs> story that's been happening over the past couple of weeks is the so-called cyber twunk cyber twunk cyberpunk <laughs> cyber twunk 2077 baby <laughs> it's the future we got game. twunks it's, it's finally done it finally happened and i broke nadia the cyberpunk 2077 renaissance <laughs> in which uh, cyberpunk 2077 had one million players a lot of people are playing it right now. It's very popular over on the Steam Deck. All of the old narrative about being a busted game. It's all gone. Our the, the age of cyberpunk is upon us. A lot of it is to do with the Edge Runners anime, which is evidently very good. I haven't watched it. I've been too busy watching this other show. Um Avatar the Last Airbender. Yeah. Avatar. Yeah, it's only ten episodes, though. I hear it's really good. Eric, um, I see the floor so you can rant at me for a while about uh, this this renaissance. Well, let, let's set this up a little bit. Okay, so so cyberpunk famous last words. So yeah, I'll yeah, check let's, in let's, about an hour. Let's lay some ground floor here for those who may not have been following the grand story of cyberpunk 2077 because it happened for years. This was good Lord. One of the longest development stories around, uh, at least until beyond good and evil too, you know, oh, boy. To them. but <laughs> it's, uh, cyberpunk 2077 was a game that had a lot of expectations behind it. Uh, it was the next game from the Witcher, uh, dev CD project red. There was a lot of marketing going into it. They brought Keanu Reeves out on the Xbox E3 stage to reveal the release oh, date yeah. that they then so later really had to going delay. back to the beginning. Well, it's important to set this up, okay? In the That's beginning. As an aside, I encourage you to go listen to our initial Cyberpunk 2077 mm-hmm. ra- review roundtable from when it first came out. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so Cyberpunk obviously had a very rocky launch. Uh, infamously rocky, taken off the PlayStation Store because Sony just did not want to sell the PS4 version of that game in the state it was in. Uh it's it is still by all accounts a largely bust game on last gen consoles uh it's maybe more functional than it was before but uh with patch 1.5 cd project red basically said like hey uh we we got it as as working as it can be um we got it to the point where it's not going to destroy it's not going to light your ps4 on fire (laughs) and 
uh, we're we are now moving solely on to next gen consoles for for future development. And that was patch 1.5 was was kind of what I would say is the start of what some might call the no man's sky moment for cyberpunk 2077, <laughs> uh, which uh, it, it moved on to the next gen. Next gen got their own version. And that version is much closer, if not equivalent to your average PC experience, which is by all accounts a good looking functional uh, video game. It is is playable. It is largely <laughs> without bugs, though, in my experience playing it recently for Normandy FM, which Ken and I have both been recording a podcast for uh, it. There are still bugs, but that it, the, the amount of bugs you would expect in an open world game and not terrifying constant bugs. Uh, the narrative now, and I think especially we need to incorporate that there's been patch 1.5 followed by patch 1.6 and patch 1.6 not only added more features but added uh tie-in content with what i think is one of the largest motivators behind this renaissance of this game cyberpunk edge runners which is the netflix mm-hmm. anime that everyone myself included is infatuated with it is incredibly good i cannot stress this enough ken and i did a separate episode a bonus episode with some great guests talking about uh, cyberpunk edge runners over on normandy fm i am going to plug it because that's why we bring our friends on podcasts but <laughs> it's uh we it is really something incredible i think a lot of people are coming off of edge runners coming off of seeing like oh edge runners was great patch 1.5 i've got a next gen console finally i'm not waiting for a ps5 yeah. anymore i can finally play this and so there's that but alongside it there has been a growing sentiment of it's good now. And that's what I'm here to rebut, baby. <laughs> that's what you're here to vent about. And here I'll kind of toss it to Ken to, to provide flavor. Ken, how are you feeling? <laughs> so I think like, you know, to set a further stage setting, I guess, I guess more so in like where I stand on this at the moment. It's like I played Cyberpunk, the PS4 version on a PS5 when it first launched and wrote various things that I did about it over at fanbyte.com. RIP. Rest in peace. Um, and I think I, I had a I had a moment like a, about a year later. I think on like the anniversary of it, I wrote another thing. It was like, I got weird rose-colored lessons mm-hmm. for this mm-hmm. game that I don't really know how to quantify. And it, like, it, well, beyond like, you know, talking about specific story elements that I think are good, character moments that I think are good. Um, and being like, you know... At a certain point, like, I, th- I think that's it's natural for like after time passes with anything, whether that's a, a game, a movie, you, you you do start to get get like this almost caricature yeah, of sure. it in your head in terms of, like you remember very specific things about it. That's how like twenty years later, everyone talks about Final Fantasy mm-hmm, last mm-hmm. scene as if it you know like without the actual context, that's just, like the way they talk about it. And I think I had like the weird like inverse reaction to Cyberpunk where I was having a lot of like positive memories of some of the character writing and some of the like broad strokes of the narrative. And I think what I have, and you know, this is what we'll be talking about. What tomorrow recording another episode? Of <laughs> Wait, FM. tomorrow? I, like, I thought I it was like Sunday. I better straighten that out. Nope. Okay. Hold on, let me blow my whiteboard. Yes. Yeah, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I gotta change the plans. So, then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, now you got me second guessing, but we'll check after. Um, now that we've like, we're, I mean, we're mostly at the end game in our season now. Um, and I think my largest takeaway is that, like, you know, all those things that I was having, like, rosy memories for, I really do like. And I do, I think I appreciate um, 
things about it like in in more concrete ways that I like I vocalized on that show. But what is weird to me about this sudden narrative that cyberpunk was always good is there's an alarming lack of like specificity as to what that means. Mm-hmm. Like it is the bare minimum of what we consider to be a good video game doesn't function. Sure. I think there's like, you know, an argument to be made like some people just want something that works. And when something was as busted as that game was two years ago, is no longer that yeah like, sure the grass is very much greener now um but i i just like a lot of the, the overarching problems of that game are still present i feel like the glitches were you know they were one problem but i think you know, once you take all the technical issues away you kind of unmask a pretty unremarkable open world mm. game mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that has like you know a lot of like really good flavor stuff in it and i think that that is where a lot of the writing and the the broad strokes of the narrative still come in like have been very effective to me as we've been playing through, but like, I I am very resistant to any idea that this game, as it was put out, was ever going to be like this, you know, genre defining like paradigm shift of a RPG. Like, and you know, oh, people just need to get past the bugs. Like, what is it about this game? Like, without with that removed, like, what is it that is so revolutionary? Like, sure, Night City is this huge, expansive, like, well realized world. It's not much to do in it, right? Yeah, you, you walk around like everyone that's in that world is walking or mm-hmm. sitting down. Like, there's not a lot going on. You know, they they have like you know a few quest lines. You know that you stumble upon that makes it feel like a living world. You know, feel like a living world, and you know, in, in that's quotes. why it has captured the imagination, in my opinion. Um, first of all, it's really pretty, and I know that's mm. a simplification, but it seems to have become. The new crisis, uh, yeah, unremarkable yeah, shooter, but everybody cares about it still because it's you know gorgeous and it pushes hardware and pushed hardware for a very long time. And there's just a subset of gamers who are obsessed with visual fidelity. And Cyberpunk mm-hmm. 2077 was ahead of its time in many ways in terms mm-hmm. of how it rendered Night City and everything. So when everybody talks about right. cyberpunk, they're thinking in terms of, yeah, but can I get this thing really humming on like a top end mm. PC? Can I get it looking good on a steam deck? Like just how good can night city end up looking? So I think people are into that. Also, people are really obsessed with the idea of the everything game, the, the hollow deck mm. game. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah. Skyrim remains lodged in our memory to this day. Cause it really captures that feeling of wandering through a, a fantasy world. Is it the best RPG ever? No. Like many of its systems are very simple. It's combat isn't amazing. Its story is kind of kind of light, all things considered. Hmm. But in terms of like the 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 the, the feeling of wandering is practically unmatched mm. in those games. And that's why it really captures the imagination. And Cyberpunk promised it promised everything. It was going to be a GTA, yeah. it was yeah. be a shooter, and it was going to have a role-playing, and it was going to be the writing of uh, The Witcher 3, and you know, and it was brand new, and so just had the sex. People really wanted the sex in this game. Did have the sex. In three out of four cases, it had mm. interesting, <laughs> and then you had Pan Am sex scene, <laughs> which is just hilariously bad, but... Yeah, uh. so I think there's always this feeling of, of course, as a CD project, is a good developer, and they really shot for the stars, and have mm. just given some time to 
refine the graphics and everything, there's a real gem underneath this. And what we've discovered is actually the combat's pretty bad. And there's a, mm-hmm. a lot yeah. of stuff that reveals the scenes in this game. And so it's going to be disappointing in that respect, but there are still going to be plenty of people who are like, really, 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 really want it to work for the reasons that I just outlined. Yeah. Mm. So a specific yeah. point I want to address in that is the idea of the hollow deck game. Cause I do agree with you. I, I do think people love the idea of the everything game. And I think mm. a key thing to draw a point to, and also something that you just have to draw a point to. I think if you're talking about specifically cyberpunk 2077, I think there's a greater point about cyberpunk that I can make in a second, but cyberpunk 2077, you have to draw a line to grand theft auto at some point because GTA five, especially GTA online is that hollow deck game. It is the one that became the everything game, especially with the way that GTA online and RP servers and things like that became this place to do that sort of thing. And honestly, it is making more of a metaverse than any tech CEO could actually dream of. And you have so many, even just single player games that have so much of a more realized world. I think of Yakuza and, and the worlds that Yakuza builds. And I think of, even Red Dead Redemption 2, a game that I personally am not a huge fan of, but those worlds feel lived in. And then I think of Cyberpunk. What do you mm. do in Cyberpunk if you're not doing a quest? The answer drive around. Yeah, yeah. The answer is drive around, cool which is car. probably why that they give exactly you so right. many ads for cars in that game, because there's nothing else to do with the cars either, because there's one street racing side quest and that's it. Um, but people it is, like driving around. They like driving around in GTA. I I think it reminds me a lot of Skyrim in some ways, because I think a lot of people like to boot up cyberpunk and be like, oh, man, look at how great this looks. This is fantastic. And then turn it right off. (laughs) And that is the depth of their uh, involvement in this game. And I also think it could have some similarities to Skyrim, because I think modders will end up making this more of an interesting game than it is right now. I've already seen stuff that modders are doing out of edge runners and out of just interesting things that they've done, like making the Metro actually work, which is cool. Like the Metro was just a fast travel point in base 2077, but someone made a mod where you can get on the Metro and ride it around night city. And I look at that and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's great. I love that. I want to ride the Metro around night city. That's, that's cool. I want to see this cool night city mm-hmm. so that's kind of my broader cyberpunk point and and maybe where we bring in some of the edge runner stuff is that i think cyberpunk the world is so open to stuff because I, we talk about cyberpunk 2077 but we have to go all the way back to cyberpunk the rpg game uh from from pond smith and company that the original tabletop version of this in the same way that a lot of Baldur's gate and stuff sprung out of dungeons and dragons all of this is very quite literally coming from cyberpunk taking place in the world of cyberpunk the same way that cd project red's witcher games take place after the book series the witcher uh well that's the the witcher series whatever you want to call it um and i think the world of cyberpunk is fascinating. I think the night city they've created is an incredible basis as we saw in edge runners for a world and stories to be told in. But I don't think 2077 always does the best job of showcasing that. I I think it struggles at times to really get the majesty of night city down instead of just, you know, being this, this open world game where you can do stuff, but it doesn't always play with night city enough and do enough night city stuff. And we talked about this on the Edge Runners show was that like I had 
gone into our 2077 retrospective feeling very much that like my attachment to the cyberpunk capital c cyberpunk world was very singular and that i cared about like you know despite whatever else in the world might think i love the character of v i love the character of johnny silverhand i love their relationship and how it intertwines into what i think is actually a really fascinating main story Mm -hmm. of that game like you know the, the the video game design around it aside like the actual like a to b plot points of that game resonate with me a lot and when i watched edge runners and how, one i think it, this is to studio trigger's credit that they like made like they remade that city in that show mm-hmm. so well mm-hmm. that like i identified mm-hmm. places as it was going on and it made night city feel not like this you know interchangeable city setting like this, this amorphous blob but like this thing that actually has like a grounding to it that can be adapted into other things. And I think in that way, edge runners made me appreciate that more and just made me feel like more curious about the franchise than I was from anything that 2077 like proposed to me because I was, that felt so singular to me. And so in that way, I, I get, that's another example of like, I don't feel like CD project red did a, like a particularly compelling job of like, really showcasing what that setting is good for and what it can do and what it can showcase in a way that like, it, it kind of feels like I'm, I'm really disappointed in, in the midst of all the cyberpunk news that we've gotten, we've also gotten news of what the DLC mm. is going to be. And it looks like it's going to be some kind of like the, it is, it's called like Phantom mm-hmm. Liberty and it's going to be like some kind of like spy thriller thing. And I'm like, that sounds, that's like, you're giving me an, an Omega when I want to sit it out. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're giving me like this thing that feels very much like a side story. And like, and they said that, you know, in the midst of all of this, they've changed their post-launch support plans and this is the only expansion they're going to make. And, but it's going to be a big, I, one. I don't think this is right. It's going to be, it's going to be huge. And it's going to be, you know, you're going to get to all these. You're going to love it. Uh, it's so big. We put thing. so much stuff in it. It can't fail twice. Yeah. And, <laughs> okay. And so my, and my feeling is like when, Edge Runners, like, brings this... Okay, whatever my feeling on the, the narrative that I think is very misguided about it being good now. My hope is that, like, the, the support they've seen from fans that are coming back to this game feel however they feel about it. Like, you know, millions of people are playing it again. Maybe that can just give them maybe, like, a nudge to, like, maybe do some... Like, don't just drop this with one DLC. Like, don't just leave this behind. Like, this is not, like, dead in the water... You have this resurgence of players and people that do care about this game now. Like, maybe reconsider these things. And I know that's like not something that you know a sh- like a slight shift in like a million players is going to be able to like you know make a company from the top down yeah. and restructure everything it did. But it just makes me wish that that was like the the future that we could be looking at. Like, if there is this redemption arc, maybe like go through with it. Like, maybe actually like own that and make something that's going to like feel like it leans on what people ended up caring about that game and like by the end, you know, like Phantom Liberty, like, you know, it, this could, it could be something completely different than what we've seen so far, but that, that just looks very much like it was the next thing you had on your list. It does not feel like the note to go off on. I think, okay, so I'm going to be positive about cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> I think that it's a compelling setting and I like the characters, especially like Pan Am and such. And I think that, if the expansion does what the Witcher 3 expansions did That's and true. rethinks yeah. the combat a bit mm. and also finds ways to 
update the systems and layer in more interesting side quests and that kind of thing, Cyberpunk, the, the base Cyberpunk could actually be really good. I think that a lot of people operate on assumptions like, no, like there's no way that you can turn this game into a legitimately amazing game, or at least a game that people want it to be, but it may not be as far away as we think. Yeah. So my, my greater feeling is like, I don't want to sound too down on cyberpunk because I do agree with that. I would love to see this game really write the ship. And there are aspects of this game that I still really like. And even now appreciate more, uh, removed from some of the greater problems. I think there's, I think there are fundamental issues that I don't know that they can ever fix. I'm mainly looking at like the phone. I think the phone is the worst part of cyberpunk 2077. It was maybe it's one like of the GTA four. It's so yes, funny that they didn't but, learn from that. They didn't learn from that whole experience that all anybody complained about was GTA four. And then they're like, well, what if we did it again? And we want people to have, yeah. but it might work yeah, for us. It, people are going to have vibes, but we're going to also completely annoy them all the time with cell phone exactly. calls. You're, you're like in, you're like in the middle of a mission. You're in the middle of a vibe. You're just like hanging out and you're just getting like their, their solution was to just make them more texts. And that's not, any better because now your phone is just constantly getting texts all the time like you're in the middle of a dramatic scene where you're in the back of an ncpd patrol car with a death row inmate who's telling you about why he's going to let himself be crucified for a brain dance and then you get an, like a text from wakako that's like hey i got a car i want to sell you saw you were in the neighborhood you want it 20 20k and it's yours v hit me up I'm just like, why is Craigslist on a text basis in this universe? But it's it, it highlights one of my main issues, which is I don't think cyberpunk was like futuristic enough in some ways. Like a lot of that story is feels like a GTA story where you also just have Keanu Reeves as a ghost following you around. And I wanted more kind of tech vibes going on. And you really only get those when you start to dig into the side quests. But to, to be I mean, clear. I think cyberpunk you wanted the can main, be good. So you wanted the main quest to be much more esoteric. The, the main quest, the side quest. The main quest, I think, is actually like it's fine as is. It's the moment to moment. It's that I never feel like I'm doing things that could only happen in the year 2077 in Night City. It feels like I could equally be doing these things in a Grand Theft Auto Three. You know, it's I'm I'm, mm. I'm crouching around and I'm sneaking behind enemies and I'm knocking them out and I'm shooting guns and every once in a while I do a mini game, but even my my net running, my cool mind hacking is feels more like I'm just casting fireball at people than I'm actually doing any sort of hacking or technological stuff. Uh, there there are cool moments where it's like, oh, I get to like put a rocket launcher in my arm, but even then V can't get cyber psychosis. So like, what's the point? Like you don't have that cool push and pull that edge runners really like emphasizes and, and does cool things with. Mm -hmm. So there's there's that aspect. But that, that that's that's a tangent. I do think cyberpunk can be better. I think there is a world where cyberpunk can be good. Even the the narrative that I rebuff is that it's already happened. And I think people are really hungry for that. Like, like it's an appealing yeah, narrative, yeah. right? You hear that and you're like, yeah, I love it when a dev gets their no man's sky story. Like we have a phrase for it now. They got mm. their no man's sky story. They, they righted the ship. They everything's good now. And I don't think CD Projekt Red is there yet. I think they've made good changes. I think they've made 
good choices. Mm. I think they've added some nice things. I like that you get more texts from your companion characters now. I like that you can go to your companion's place and talk to them and fall asleep in the bed and wake up next to them. Like, that's all great. That's cool. That's that gives you like this feeling of place in, in Night City that you have developed that like found family, found home sort of thing that I think vibes with the story of cyberpunk very well. But mm-hmm. it's I don't think it's there yet. And that's mainly what I go Joker mode over is like people <laughs> just kind of check in and they're like, Edge Runners was great. Cyberpunk 2077's back. And I'm like, that's a whole new sentence. <laughs> it's a completely <laughs> different statement. <laughs> I I have a co- I have a counterpoint, Eric. Okay, I do okay. think that Cyberpunk is back. I nope. think that it originally <laughs> when it came out, it was a disaster. And all anybody mm-hmm. could talk about was how CD Projekt screwed the pooch and the actual development was a disaster. And Sony pulled it from the game, the game store and everything. And they have worked on it quite diligently to make it, if not amazing, a lot, at least a lot better. And I don't think you can discount how relevant it is now. A lot of people are playing and enjoying this game. And when people talk about it, it is in very positive tones. And I think that we could quite reasonably do a Pantheon episode about it. I don't think it would make the Pantheon but it has undeniably come a very long way and completely flipped the narrative. And I don't think it's entirely because people are just hungry for cyberpunk to be a success or even that it's a great RPG. I just think that the, the world is really compelling. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. There are things about it, especially the side quests that are frequently quite compelling and quite interesting. And in that respect, you know, Cyberpunk is one of the most important games going right now. And that's a far cry from where it was a year ago. Or even two years ago. It's absolutely talked about. I just think a lot of people are high on that edge runners right now. You know, I get it. I'm there too. Mm. But I'm not saying don't be excited for Cyberpunk again. Because I'll be honest... I was dreading the next time I was going to have to play cyberpunk for Normandy and post edge runners. I was like, you know what? I could go for some cyberpunk right now. I'm in the mood and it, 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 it is intoxicating, but I think that's the, the world is not just 2077. I think that was one of the things I wanted to stress going into this is that cyberpunk is a broader world. It's kind of like a, a thing can be good. It's like star Wars, you know, it's, it's a franchise. It's not just one thing. And so like, I don't think that just because, you know, Star Wars and or is good means is that it good? Sudden, suddenly is it good? mainline Star Wars is back. Like, like Andor, I'm just using an example. I think like Andor being good doesn't make episode nine better. You know, <laughs> it's uh, that's kind of my comparison point. And do I think that cyberpunk is as irredeemable as Star Wars episode nine. No, nothing's as irredeemable as Star Wars episode nine, (laughs) but it's, uh, I just think that people are very eager to, to kind of call, call it, you know, back before it's, it's earned that spot. And, and more, more support for CD project red. I want to see them do it. I want to see them write that ship. If only because like, you know, Witcher not Witcher Four. They were very adamant about that. The next Witcher is is in store next, and I hope that there is more cyberpunk out there for them. I would love to see Studio Trigger do another completely different, not a sequel, but like a different 
anthological series of, of edge runners. I'd love to see more people uh, engage with the, uh, the the world that is cyberpunk because i do like it in general i think it's a cool city i think night city is beautiful i think they've if anything cd project red's greatest accomplishment with 2077 is the night city that they built because i think that can really stand the test of time and has created a visual language for this franchise that can be used Mm -hmm. a lot moving forward as we saw with that runners so right i i do think like just kind of my last thoughts on it um it, we we are talking about it now, and like I said, like it, it is for whatever it's worth. It has turned the conversation yes, yeah. around, and that is something that could not have been even conceived of and when the game launched. Not a lot of games. And and there think, are a lot of games that never do that. Right, right. They never do yeah, that. That's, They're just that's a disaster right. forever. That's and fair. so, and so, I think like what I'm more curious to see is how we talk about Cyberpunk 2077. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like after after Phantom Liberty's out, and after you know they have. Um, seemingly, you know, stop, you know, developing on it and have moved on to the next thing. What do we talk about then? Because, like, you know, there's a lot. You know, we we're like five years removed from Mass Effect Andromeda, and there are, you know, there are staunch defenders of that game. I wonder that who. Like, oh, it was always good. And I'm like, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, who in this room could possibly be that person? But like, I, you know, I think we have seen, you know, there be people that you know come around, you know as we get away from like the discourse era of something and, you know, they are the defenders. They're like, Oh, it was always good. But then eventually like the conversation does somewhere finally find its place in the middle somewhere, I think. And I think cyberpunk will be one of those cases. If, you know, if they keep on this track of like, you know, really trying to make good and at least it's got momentum on its side now. And that's, that's nice to see. It's, it's got wind in its sails. If they announce cyberpunk 2078, if we'd be back, baby, the hype would the hype train <laughs> would be going again. And Keanu's I, back. Let's go. Keanu's <laughs> back, baby. I hope they don't bring back Keanu. I really <laughs> hope they don't. I, I, I think mm. Keanu's the worst part of about that game. Sorry, Tim Rogers. I disagree with you. I, I love John. I love John. Is he like not? Is he a bad actor? Eventually, oh, I don't think he's a bad actor. They just it. don't. They just I, don't I mean, let him be Keanu. And that is what he's really he play, good at. He plays an so, asshole in that game, which I think yeah. is not kind of entertaining. But also some of the best stuff with Johnny happens at the very, very end of that game. Very, so for very like 85% of that game, he is just basically being a jerk. And they frequently characterize him as being a jerk towards specific people in that world. Like Johnny Silverhand has some thoughts about sex workers and (laughs) hearing, hearing Keanu Reeves voice act that stuff. I'm like, Oh, Uh, 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 yeah, I know. I know it should be so stilted. It's very wooden. I'm sorry. I love Keanu, but he's never been the best actor in my opinion. Not to like burn Pod for like the the Normandy episode we're about to record. There's a point where like Keanu's character like takes over the main character's body, and I think the the main character of V, like I think both actors mm-hmm. that play mm-hmm. that character, do pretty good jobs. Um, and when they are having to imitate Keanu's delivery of lines because like <laughs> yes. you're hearing like their oh, voices no. dueled, like like all the character of both of those mm-hmm. actors just mm-hmm. gone. Yeah, I love the female V voice. Um, same as Makoto from. Persona 5, if I'm correct, oh, really? right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. A yep. uh, really Lee. incredible performance. And then when she has to be Johnny Silverhand, it's just, I want another drink. Give me more drink. 
<laughs> sounds sounds like Cookie Monster. Oh God! Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, we'll always have Cat V's Lesbian Party Ooh. Man in Cyberpunk 2077. So there is that. But that's our thoughts on Cyberpunk 2077's redemption arc. What do you think? Do you think it's back? Did it earn its redemption arc, or is the hype just still too much? And also, we should should talk more about Edge Runners because I do want to watch that show. Time to move on to another good show, Autumn of Avatar. In which we talk about week by week our entire watch through of the show. And this week we watched book two, where we started with The Swamp and we continued through The Chase. A lot of the episodes. Mm -hmm. And here Mm -hmm. are some things that happened. Uh, a lot of earthbending stuff happened. We also got a new party member in book yeah. two. This, 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 this series is just a big old JRPG. It's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, her name is Tof. Um, she is uh, unsighted. And uh, she's very good at earthbending. And she's a giant brat. Uh-huh. She is. Uh-huh. She she's is, great. Yeah. And I love her. Did you know anything about Toph before getting into it? Because that was, I realized about halfway into the Autumn of the Avatar that we had not mentioned Toph at all. And I was like, I'm making a mental note to never is say the Toph name Toph. Or Toph? It, it, it is Toph. It's Toph. It's, it's, I think oh, Toph okay. is, yeah. I, I knew about Toph. Toph because uh, of Tumblr. Like Tumblr went oh. absolutely nuts for Toph. So mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. I kind of knew her. But uh, I didn't really, I wasn't too familiar with her character until A, a until fan now. favorite character. Absolutely. I I can confirm I had never heard of Toph and was surprised when she joined the party at the end of that episode. I think one of the things that interests me most about her is that um, you do see a lot of movies, games, etc. shows where there's a blind character, but they're always looking directly at the people who are talking to them. Toph doesn't do that. I've noticed Toph kind of looks off to the side or like not quite at them. Part mm-hmm. of it is because she's listening for obvious reasons and part of it is because, well, you know, I have an aunt who's blind. They don't really look directly at you all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and the way Toph fights is so cool with the the way they show it in that first episode. And you see kind of the the sonar ripple out and yeah, all that. The and, and they they even have moments where you see like her ear kind of prickle at a sound and stuff like that. It's just yeah. the, the introduction to the way that she fights and then how it like feels very in tune with the ideas of earthbending of like maintaining your stance on the ground and fighting with you know, the sorts of things that would be intuitive for somebody mm-hmm. who is feeling through the ground like that. It's, it's, it's so cool. She's the first earthbender I've actually liked. I, I've been kind of like whatever on earthbenders in general, but she, she made earthbending cool y'all. Mm-hmm. I have to mm-hmm. say that the second of the, the, the last three episodes that we watched were way better than the first two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The swamp episode had, you know, the funny that guys annoyed dra- me because dragged like, on a little bit, yeah. They're like twirling their arms. That, that was, was kind hilarious. Of fun. That was yeah. great. But I don't know what it was. Soka, for some reason, they decided he's going to regress and be a uh, you know kind of a jerk. Like, oh, why are we doing? There's no such thing as mystical ghosts. And I hate it when someone's in like a world full of like crazy magical shit, and they're like, there's no such thing as ghosts. And he should know better <laughs> by now that not everything is skeptic. what it seems. He's playing yeah, a skeptic, yeah. but a dumb skeptic, which makes exactly. you go, oh. Screw I liked skeptics. him being like Aang's avatar. That's different. That's avatar stuff. That was that was a good little bit. Oh, that's just he also avatar. Also lost stuff. his boomerang, and he's like, "My boomerang." Mm-hmm. 
Then it came back without just my for boomerang. Funny. It defines boomerang my character. <laughs> and then the, the episode. Sorry, go ahead, Eric. I was just gonna say that episode where where Aang like dresses up as Kyoshi and then momentarily becomes <laughs> like, Kyoshi, Hi, and Kyoshi's like, Kiyoshi. "Yeah, I that murdered great. that I dude. Like, yeah, I killed him. Like, what are you talking I about?" The hell out of him. That was the best yeah. part of a very bad episode, by and large. Boy, oh and boy, was I falling Aang asleep fighting. on that one. Aang fighting in the Kyoshi makeup with the fans for a little bit was mm. so cool too. Like I that love it right. when Aang kind of like embodies his previous lives a little bit. Like when he yeah. becomes Roku, when he becomes Kyoshi, when you can see kind of his previous lives channeling through him, it's always really cool. And then we had Earth, and then we had Earth bending wrestlers. Yeah, that was funny. I thought <laughs> that about was great. I thought about Nadia a lot in that one. Yeah, that yeah. was very the good. The thing I love about that episode is not to do with, even with wrestling is that they have a Zamboni that's just that one of those big badgers. <laughs> that was hilarious. That was great. But I was laughing with the uh, part with I'm from the Fire Nation. Everyone stand up for my national anthem. That is so 80s Iron Sheet mm-hmm. Nikolai yes. Volkov. That is just WWF. Or, or when um, Sergeant Slaughter becomes the guy from Iraq or whatever. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah! Oh, that, that's the, the my like turn. piece of wrestling lore, lore that I learned. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was a lot of fun, and it was actually a really interesting way to frame Toff's Toff's Toff 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 like Toffy oh. is is a really good way to frame her power in a very kind of unorthodox manner. Mm-hmm. I mean, there always is that arena fight or that wrestling parody, but this I kind of like the bending with wrestling. That's a really interesting combination. Mm-hmm. And then the episode that followed was one of the best episodes in the entire series, Absolutely. in my opinion. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. I mean, it's just it's a Zuko. As usual, it's a Zuko episode. And it's a flashback to Zuko growing up and what happened to Iroh and the Fire Lord taking power. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm just a sucker for Fire Fire Nation politics. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a really interesting contrast to see Zuko's relationship with his sister and mm-hmm. the whole bit where She's she sets the doll on fire. Oh, uh, where when he's lying there and just repeating like Azula always lies, Azula always lies, and it like yeah. f- like flashes forward to him in present day repeating that to himself in the grass. Like, oh, oh god, this episode hits it's so good. And the juxtaposition with him being in town and uh, dealing with the th- the Earthbender thugs. And yeah. then I compose along with him growing up. Excellent stuff. Really good episode. It's funny how this show can go from like kind of kitty, kind of silly, very much an anime to like, oh, well, okay. You know that it's when it's turning it on. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I knew you would like this episode in particular, Kat, because it felt like a very Gundam episode. Like this idea. Oh my God. Of, it so is. Uh, yeah. Of Zuko like dealing with it's the uh, zombie family. He's the, a fall, zombie. the fallout of the war. Yeah. He, he's a zombie. And, and he's also like seeing, you get to see the earthbenders and the soldiers who are supposed to be defending this town, taking advantage of the citizens there while all the other men are off fighting the war. And it's, it's a really cool, I, I remember watching it and I was watching the wrestling one. I was like, this is a Nadia episode. Nadia is going to love this episode. I got to that one. I was like, cat's going to love this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was really well done. Like in terms of I did the like framing, Zuko episode, yeah. excellent animation. It mm-hmm. got, we had Zuko doing the, the dual swords thing and explaining oh, how yeah. the dual swords work. And mm-hmm. he started them on fire. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Also, Good stuff. we saw the, the turtle duck. The turtle so duck cute. is important. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I want close one. Off. 
We close off with the chase, which was probably, if not for Zuko alone, my favorite episode because it's such a good rising tension episode that you just feel this constant tug oh, they at the back of your neck. They finally run into Azula's gang. Yeah, Teen Girl Squad and their giant train of death is chasing them. <laughs> I love that they're on a death train. Uh huh. Uh huh. Very ghost train vibes from Final Fantasy VI. It's it's such a good one because for the whole time you are like, how are they tracking you? How are they like I did? I've seen this series before. I was like, how are they tracking them? How are they, did they plant something on somebody? And then it's it's Appa's fur. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, and it's then it's something about Toph that I'm like that she was is the biggest brat in the universe, and I was like, I love you, and I would die mm-hmm. for you. I would protect you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, pretty a little weak at the start kind of a much stronger batch of episodes uh, to wrap it up. Um, Ken, have you ever watched Avatar The Last Airbender? I watched it in passing a lot as I was a kid because my brother was very, very big ah. into it. Um, enough to know, like, I would have, like, if I had sat down and watched it, I would have loved that shit. Um, it it would have been, like, one of those very uh, formative mm-hmm. things that I, I should have watched in an retrospect. And especially the more I hear about Legend of Korra as well, I'm like, oh, this whole thing just sounds like it's my jam. I don't have a job hey, now, so like, maybe yeah. I'll just, like, I'll, with all this new time I've that been, I've got, I've maybe been I'll, telling I'll... you, Ken, there is the critically acclaimed MMORPG <laughs> or the critically acclaimed children's animated TV series. I'm going to make you pick one. <laughs> Please don't go to the MMO. Well, then I'm picking, I'll pick <laughs> yes, Avatar. Thank you. <laughs> I, I saying, like you, Ken. You're great. Yeah. That's a bargaining trick, everyone. <laughs> Those of you who grew up with... <laughs> with avatar uh was azula your first crush or no or how follow how fast did you discover puberty when you oh, saw Az- her azula i was never azula. an azula i like was azula, azula as a or character Toph? no it wasn't tough um you weren't into Toph? no no uh-huh. i i was i liked i liked tylee and may a lot more when i was when i was younger oh. um because because Tylee is just goofy as heck. I love the the bit in this episode where they like get done fighting and they wash up and Tylee's like, hey, Sokka was kind of cute, huh? Yeah. And he's just like, uh, like they have a great uh, like team team chemistry among the the awesome team girl squad that that chases after them. So they were definitely favorites for me Does, when I was growing um, up. Suki, that's the performer, right? The acrobat. Suki is no Suki is the it's warrior of Kiyoshi. Oh, okay. No, she's way back from season one, book one. Um, Ty Ty Lee is the gymnast, and May is the Aubrey Plaza, uh, angry character who throws Does daggers Ty and Lee stuff. Know what, like what was done to the performance to make her kind of like to coerce her into following? Like Tylee's Tylee's aware. I think. Okay. I think what you are supposed to get out of it. And again, I I'm keeping it largely restricted to what we have seen so far. Uh, I think one of the things that you can pull out of Zuko alone is certainly that Tylee may and Azula have known each other a long time. Yeah. And as you can see with the way that uh, Azula like pulls that trick to like shove Zuko onto may and when they're playing around and stuff, they like to kind of Azula likes to play games with her, with her group. Mm-hmm. She likes to toy with people. And so I think For if sure. Tylee and may have known Azula long enough, they are aware of this. Cause I think when, when Tylee is at the circus and Azula shows up for the first time, like Tylee is immediately like, Oh, you want something like you're here. Yeah. For, you're not just here to see me. You're what do you want? Yeah. 
Arrested when she said, hey, "Oh, I'm going to stay for your show." She kind of knew what that inferred. Yeah, you you see, like it pans to her, and she's kind of like uncomfortable at that moment. She's like, "Why are you staying for my show?" And then obviously, yeah. like what happens? It's like, okay, gotcha. Well, Kal-El has the best comment of the show, which is, "Just wait till Toph suplexes the train," which mm-hmm. uh, is <laughs> she pretty could. good. She could. Well done. Well done. I I, I fully believe that. Erica, what's next on the docket for our Autumn of Avatar watch? I have to look at the episode guide. I haven't looked at the episode guide. I've been really good about not watching ahead. I've been proud of myself for that, but that means that I am always waiting for our recordings so that way I can just immediately go watch the next episodes. Um, This next, oh, some banger episodes coming up here. Our next uh, section of episodes will start with uh, Bitter Work and end with the drill. And so this is one of those ones where uh, Netflix might get kind of funky with how it labels the episodes. Um, so if it if it's any easier for folks watching at home on Netflix, watch up to the episode before City of Walls and Secrets. Don't watch City of Walls and Secrets. That is the following week's episodes. But I think some of these are like considered two-parters. I think mm-hmm. the drill is part of the two-parters. It's part of like the the secrets of something or whatever uh just just follow along at home you'll be fine don't watch into city of walls and secrets and as always hop into the autumn of avatar channel uh our rule is that we use spoiler tags if you are talking about the episodes further ahead but we generally try to keep conversation around whatever we are currently on and we have the full guide pinned up there as well yeah and go listen to our book one recap which is now live to all of our patrons okay nadia Take us home. So, as you know, uh, I saw the killers last week, which was really fun. And they didn't kill um, you? I'm going to make that joke kill me. again twice. No. Except, like, I guess... Brandon Flowers just shot me in the heart because he's just so cute. Shot me but, through uh, the heart. Oh, uh, I anyway, screwed it up again. <laughs> I screwed yeah. it up. PS3 has no games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's an old one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a stupid question. It kind of reminded me. It jogged a memory. Um, this is a dumb question for Eric in particular. Do you remember Fastball? Of course, Eric would. I remember uh, Fastball. The band? Fastball. The band? Like- the yeah. band fastball. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Eric's yeah. Eric's too young for fastball. No, there's no way Eric's too young for fastball. Fast, I was just I'm thinking re- about I was just thinking about a fastball song the other day. Which and, one? Uh, uh, oh gosh, I can't even see now I'm gonna have to look it up. Thanks, Nadia. Continue talking. Yeah, I'm actually really curious. But basically my mom has one of their guitars and it was the funniest thing the way it happened. Like for some reason my mom became like a huge fastball groupie to the point where she went to New York with an online fan group and like went backstage with fucking fastball. Sorry, I swear there with, with effing fastball. And uh, this was kind of different though. Apparently they were running a contest on much music or, or something like that. And you had to write in or call in to win one of their guitars that signed and nobody entered the contest except for my mom. So she, she won one of Fastball's guitars by default, and it's all signed and all this other stuff. And I think my brother stole it, but 
Uh, I just remember one of the quotes on there is beer is expensive and free, which is, uh, uh-huh. I, I suppose, very philosophical. But they, they weren't a bad they weren't a bad band for their time. Um, had a couple of good songs. I really liked I like the way that's kind of a classic. That's the, um, yeah, that's the one I think I know. That's they're the one an, that really took off. They're an Austin, Texas band. Uh, and right. so they uh, they I'm looking back at this now and I recognize them as a band I would hear sometimes in the local alternative station when i was driving to school and all that uh in between hits of nirvana and sublime so you're is that you're talking about like your high school would put on like music no no, no like when i was driving to school in my car oh, oh okay because yeah that's pretty cool i had a uh, car in high school <laughs> that's always the funniest thing to me like when i was in high school maybe two kids had a, had cars because didn't exactly go to a rich person school so everyone was just taking the bus and the one or two kids who had cars were Jesus. Like, can you please drive us to this dumb field trip we're supposed to go on? Because oh, we don't want to take the bus. We had a parking lot and you had to get like parking passes. And it was like a full parking lot full of cars that the kids would drive to school in. Wow. Yeah. Same same for us. And I, I had a car when I was growing up because I was lucky. Um, I still can't I drive. Really? I don't have a I mean, I don't do have live in Toronto. They had it's decent also- public transit, right? Oh, yeah, it, it's fine. I can get it along. But if you want to like, OK, if this isn't a pit, it's going to be a pit right now. I was in a oh. car wreck when I was four years old. Wow. And I think that damaged my brain in terms of like the psychology of it all, because my my mom got really, really hurt. Like she was in the hospital for months and it was just, uh, I, I suppose, traumatizing. <laughs> I mm. guess it kind of messed me up a bit. But I also am scared of cars because I can't see over the steering wheel and I can't reach the gas pedals. <laughs> oh, no. That would be so, problematic in the driving of a car. A little bit. So I'm thinking I could learn how to ride a moped or something like that. But when you live in Toronto, it's a lot of winter weather. I want so you, it's worth it. So you should I get a sled an animated, and some dogs. I want one of those animated pixel arts of Nadia riding a moped through the streets mm-hmm. of uh, Toronto with the snow and then RPG sliding stuff. That's a secret yeah. level in the Scott Pilgrim video game, actually, is the Nadia moped level. Oh, yeah. man. Who was, yeah. the, who was the sprite animator for that game? Paul, I think it was Paul Robertson oh. or something like that. He was yeah. incredible. I want him yeah. to animate me. Yeah. Incredible sprites, yeah. I, animate I me wanna, just getting out. I want to bring it back to the fastball really quickly. First of all, I was thinking about You're an Ocean. That you're song. an Ocean. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. an Ocean. Yeah. My dad used to make fun of that song endlessly. Yes. Uh, it's stuck. Eh. In my, it gets stuck in my head, and I'm sure it's going to be stuck in my head again. Also, it, yeah, um, yeah. I, this is cat confession time. When I do karaoke, I often go to fastball. That's oh, really? awesome. What songs do you You're sing? Out of, out of my head, yeah. Out of my head. Out yeah, my... it's fun to sing. I'm sorry. It's also easy. Yeah, honestly, yeah, it's they're not a bad band. I think they were like, yeah. mismanaged a little bit because they have a few good songs that just never really took off. Yeah, they're all right. I'm stuck in the netherworld between uh, male and female registers, so I can't ever like seeing Mm. either (laughs) one. It's the worst. Yeah, I'm the same Mm. way. I'm very, very alto. Yes. Anyway, so that's it for this week's episode of Acts of the Blood God. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back uh, for the post show that's starting in just a few minutes. Thanks so much to our special guest, Ken Shepherd. Ken, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ShepherdCDR. Um, and I'm sure Normandy FM needs no introduction here. 
Uh, but that is oh, the absolutely. only thing that I'm doing. Introduce it, it anyways. sister pod. Plug it. Plug it. Plug <laughs> yeah. It. <laughs> All right, fine. Normandy FM, a retrospective podcast that started off as a Mass Effect podcast, went on to do Dragon Age, Jade Empire. Mm-hmm. Then we got mm-hmm. Border where we did The Last of Us. We mm-hmm. did Final Fantasy mm-hmm. 10 to 10 2. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing mm-hmm. Cyberpunk 2077. We had a long mm-hmm. conversation last night about what we're doing next, and didn't really find a conclusive answer. So I, who knows we, what the we future We have one holds. idea I'm very excited about. We have one idea I'm very excited about that the listeners of Blood God would also be he, excited about. He had but. one idea that sounds like it might be a train wreck to actually organize, but... But that's why it'd be fun. But that, why, that's <laughs> why it would not maintain listeners. Do Final Fantasy fourteen, and then you never have to do another oh, podcast yeah. topic again because it'll exactly. stay around yep. forever. It'll never end. Right we're, we're, we're here to take over the Charlene dropouts. I'm sorry that you had to find out this way, Nadia. This is... <laughs> oh, <laughs> Much darn. like Final Fantasy fourteen, we invited you to a peace summit, and then it turns out it's not actually a peace <laughs> summit. <laughs> oh no! Major cutscenes playing in my face. <laughs> Several cutscenes will now play in sequence for you, Nadia. <laughs> R.I.P. Me. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore Catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at Seamusi, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. And thanks once again to our Stars of Destiny for joining us during our live recording. We'll be back next week, as always, to talk more about the genre we love and also Avatar The Last Bear, Airbender. Airbender. But until then... <laughs> the medic name in college. So- <laughs> I've been Kat Bailey, and for Nadia, Eric, myself, thanks for listening, and happy adventuring. Mm-hmm.